I'm responsible for the world that my children grow up in. And if I'm not doing everything in my power to influence that world as significantly and make it a significantly better place than the one that I'm living in right now and failing as a parent, that's just unacceptable to me. Through my role, especially the Leadership Academy opportunities that we offer people, I'm going to influence 10 to 20,000 college students in the next decade to make sure that they have the right values, morals, work ethic, desire to provide a positive impact on the world and their surroundings. So whatever they do in the future, they're going to learn to lead there. They're going to choose to lead there and uh, bring a little bit of Vector, bring a little bit of the Kyle Preeman, our divisional culture with them to ultimately make the world that my kids grow up in a significantly better place. Kyle Preeman understands the formula for creating well-rounded success. He's done this in his Cutco career, in his personal life, and with his finances. More importantly, he is teaching this formula to others today. By providing people with great training on personal and professional skills, solid education on financial well-being, and a platform through which they can lead others, Kyle is inspiring a new generation of leaders to follow in his footsteps. He shares his valuable lessons in this insightful conversation. I'm proud to introduce you all today to Kyle Preeman. Welcome to Changing Lives, Selling Knives. I'm your host, Dan Cassetta. There's a generation of entrepreneurs and business leaders out there right now who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills that they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from Cutco's most prominent alumni and current leaders. On this show, you'll meet successful entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, superstar business executives, and transformational leaders from many walks of life. All our guests will have two things in common. One, they're all changing lives today through their work and their influence. And two, they all started out selling Cutco knives when they were younger. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real-world concepts for business and life. Through hearing real-life stories and hands-on experiences, you'll gain insights that can help you in whatever it is that you do in life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's episode. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. My guest today is Kyle Preeman, who is the division manager for the CTNY division, which is most of Connecticut plus uh, Westchester County and Long Island in New York. Kyle is a little over 20-year veteran of the Cutco Vector business, having started with the company in 1999. He went to Tufts University where he graduated with a triple major in 2004. Uh, Kyle was a branch manager twice with the company while in college and became a district manager after graduating. He operated in Manchester, New Hampshire for many years as a very successful district manager. And ultimately in 2015, Kyle had the opportunity to move from New Hampshire to Connecticut to become a division manager, which is where he resides today, building a very successful organization there. Kyle has had a lot of great experiences and has a lot of great lessons to share. This is going to be an awesome conversation, which I'm sure you'll all enjoy. So Kyle Preeman, thanks so much for making time for the podcast. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to share some thoughts and uh, hopefully you can add some value. Yes, I know you will, Kyle, for sure. So let's uh, 
go back to when you first started working with Cutco and Vector back in 1999. Tell us how you connected with the company and how you got started. Yeah, um, I was uh, working at Abercrombie for the summer, and uh, I had a, a boss that was like kind of the the god of his retail store. And he was not pleasant. Threw all the clothes that I was folding in the morning off the table, and uh, you know, t- you know, started yelling at me about how I should fold them the right way. And I left right after that and told him that he can fold them himself. And then uh, <laughs> <laughs> to my mom's uh, my mom's minivan that I drove to work uh, that day, and it had like a sticky note thing on the windshield it said something like you know twelve dollars and fifty cents, flexible schedules, fun team. And uh, I was like, sweet, need a job, <laughs> you know, so. I was in the middle of July, late summer recruiting, and uh, I, w- I was in training the next day, and the rest is history. So I did 55 10 those in my first 10 days, about $14,000 in my fast start, and uh, I was number one in the nation for my first month. And then uh, you know, went on to the management ranks with, uh, with Mara Fosto as uh, you know, leading lead the charge, and you know, the rest is, uh, is, is in my bio. <laughs> so. Yeah, outstanding. Awesome. So you were working at Abercrombie and your, your boss was trying to re-educate you about how to fold stuff. So that's... No, uh, I'm still not good at that. That is <laughs> pretty funny. Pretty funny. So probably your folding skills are lacking to this day, but uh, you've yep. gained a lot more through your experience with Vector, I'm sure, as most people do. I just think it's so great for people to think about, all the Cutco reps that are listening, to think about the real-life skills one gains working here versus a job like a retail store or you know i was working in a movie theater before i got this job and it was fun and you know i liked it and everything but i just there was not a whole lot of learning that was going on of things that were going to make me more valuable in the future so your cutco experience certainly did that for you what are some of the early experiences that stand out to you in in those first couple years I just remember being around brilliant leaders and people that I was really impressed with. And Mara had a really amazing way of life lessons as she was teaching uh, vector lessons. And, you know, I, I just remember a lot of those things like, you know, coming out in the forefront. I, I can still remember her talking about, like, you know, your thoughts determining your reality and, like, you know, actions leading to your reality. Some of those life lessons, an embodiment of qualities that I admire in other people and you know, trying to live into the most ideal of myself. And I think some of those resonated with me a lot you know, when I was first getting started in the business. And you know, that, particularly that concept of embodiment and you know, thinking to myself, well, hey, how would the most ideal version of myself approach this situation? What would their mindset be in this particular scenario? What's a big order for that person? What would uh, that person's activity level look like? And trying to act in line with how that person be or how that person would behave, uh, I think served me really well in, in, in every facet of my life. Because the best way to obviously become a more ideal version of who you are is to be that person now and mm-hmm. take those actions and activities seriously to, to, to grow yourself, You know, whether it be personally, professionally, or financially. I remember her often talking about learning lessons and forgetting the details, always saying to me like stuff like, hey, listen... You have the capacity to be a champion here, you know, and just remember that it doesn't matter what happens to you. It just matters how you choose to respond to it. And as long as you choose to respond like a champion, you become a champion much more quickly. And I, I still remember when she taught me that. Like I, I had a tough day in sales, and you know, I, I, I like blew up about a customer in, in her office. You know, she pulled me aside one on one. It was like, so tell me about this appointment, and I just like lost it. <laughs> you know, she was like. Kyle, let me put something into perspective for you. You know, she didn't buy knives from you. Like, 
if that's the worst thing that ever happens in your life, I feel really good about your life. Sometimes things happen to you and it doesn't matter what happens to you. It just matters how you choose to respond to it. In this particular situation, you chose to respond really poorly. And in the future, I just hope you'd respond better and, and, and differently in a more uh, empowering way to things like that. And then she just left. She had a habit of doing that. She'd say something like <laughs> deep and profound and then it would sit with me. Wow. And- what a lesson, Kyle. Like what a <laughs> lesson that I've learned from someone at a young age right? About the importance of how we respond to every situation, that it doesn't really matter what happened. Like stuff, the bad stuff that happens to you or me or anyone else, it happens to pretty much everyone else for the most part, right? Most of the the kinds of challenges that we all experience are universal. And uh, everybody tends to feel like, oh no, these things that happened to me are the worst. But for the most part, it happens to everybody. And uh, what matters most is how we learn to respond to those things. And when you have the benefit of perspective years later, you tend to look back on a lot of the challenges you experienced and realize that they, they were beneficial to you. They helped you grow. They helped you learn. And there were a lot of things that came out of them that wouldn't have happened without you, you know, going through those things. So that was a pretty cool thing to hear. Yeah, absolutely. I love a lot of those like nuances of a microcosm of life some, in some ways that I got to experience in, in, in sales and in the entry-level reps that I now train people to do. I, I don't think I would give those things up for anything because I think they forged a little bit more of who I am as a person now. I'm a lot more uh, resilient. I'm a lot more confident in responding to things. There were a million lessons <laughs> that I've learned. I, you know, I, obviously, we have a limited amount of time in the podcast, but I could go on forever about some of those things coming up in business. You know, Honestly, I think one of the biggest ones for me, though, was the notion of having a clear vision. One of my favorite things that Mara ever said to me, she said, the bigger the why, the easier the and you know, another variation of that was clarity of purpose creates ease of action. And I think the more clear we are or the activities that we need to you know, employ to execute a particular task or function in our life, the easier it is for us to actually make the choices to do those things. And being aggressive about pursuing those visions and goals once we have them, I think is a big thing that, uh, that I got. So those are kind of like, I, I think, some of the bigger lessons I learned coming up in the speak. Yeah, that concept that clarity of purpose creates ease of action is a really valuable insight for people to consider. Certainly, you know, when you are clear on what it is you want to do and why it is you want to do that, it's much easier to be motivated in the present to take the actions now that are going to move you in that direction. Because sometimes we don't see the date, the benefit today of certain actions. But when you understand the longer term benefit, why you're doing these things, it's easier to take those day-to-day steps that are going to get you there. So that's a cool point as well. Nice. So you graduated from Tufts as a triple major, biomedical engineering, biopsychology, and econ. That's a pretty <laughs> crazy combination right there. <laughs> what made you decide to have this be your first career when you graduated from Tufts? The big thing for me, I, I was actually on the pre-med track and a lot of family members and things were, were doctors and whatnot. And the reality was, is that I just didn't feel that same calling. You know, my uncle for my entire life had called me like, you know, Dr. Freeman, you know, so everybody was expecting me to go in that direction. And I had my one uncle, Herbie, who was on business and he was like, don't, don't do it. <laughs> don't be a doctor. You see your uncle Sheldon sketching terrible. Like, you know, he's always on call. And then my uncle Sheldon had me come in and watch a rhinoplasty because he was a plastic surgeon. And I immediately lost all interest in, uh, 
than being a doctor after watching him wail on someone in space with what a, a pickaxe or something. And I was like, oh my <laughs> God, I don't know if I can handle that. But I think more importantly was there was part of that. Like I, I think I had more of a business mindset than pursuing the medical field and I enjoyed it more. But I think that the biggest thing for me is I just really enjoyed who I was becoming and the person that I was evolving into while I was working with Vactor. I love now that I'm directly rewarded for the amount of value that I'm able to add to the lives of the people that I'm leading. I enjoy being in a business that puts a premium on the, the human capital that's part of the organization, the, the concepts of growing people to grow a business and the premium that we put on, like, you know, the culture of family, fun, travel, growth. It just seemed like a culture and an atmosphere that I, I wanted to be immersed in for a little bit longer. I didn't think I had lead as much growth from the company as I could have. And the reality was that when I made that decision, all the opportunities that would have existed for me in the medical field, but it's still been there like you know, two, three, four years later, I just looked at district managers, kind of like my first career out of college and my first opportunity. And I could always have gone back to med school. So I made a decision that I was going to do it for three years, earn a good amount of money to ultimately pay for med school if I had made that choice. But if I loved where I was and I was passionate about where I was heading in the business, I'd said, you know what, hey, the heck with it, I'll, I'll stay long term. And that's that's inevitably what ended up happening. So I think there were a lot of factors, but like those those are probably the biggest ones. It's awesome to hear you talk about all those reasons because we have so many young people who work with us during college here in in Cutco Vector, and ultimately, when those kids graduate from college or whenever it is that they decide they want to move on to something different, they start seeking out what will that be. And I think a lot of people, they chase the dollars in a lot of cases. They're like, well, where can I earn the most? You know, As a doctor, you could have had a very high income earning opportunity. Or people chase something that is other people's vision for them. right? Like you said, your family kind of viewed that to be the likely path for you. And I feel like you know, what you've shared right there is something that a lot of young people can relate to. And instead of that, I think it's really important for people to consider the full package of what they can gain from an opportunity. Because as you mentioned, working as a doctor has certainly a lot of pros, but it also has a lot of uh, cons that some people might see, depending on how you perceive it. And so you decided that uh, you know this was where you wanted to be because of the culture, that the family, the fun, the travel, the growth, all those things. Like Vector offers a lot of neat things. And, and also... In Vector, we have a chance to really impact people's lives positively. A doctor certainly has that opportunity, but there are many other careers where one can earn a lot, but they're not really making a difference in people's lives. And um, and here, you know, we have that chance. We're we're rewarded for doing that. In fact, so I think those are some good points that people can really ponder when they consider where they're at Vector and what they might want to do after they think their time in Vector has run its course and they want to look elsewhere, I think sometimes it's uh, beneficial to look at all the things that uh, are offered here. So it's cool. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I, I realized is there were some really amazing people in the leadership roles that I thought I could learn a lot from. People that just you would want to emulate, in it, whether it be personally, professionally, or people that just lack professionalism. They have a tremendous business act amazing lives outside of the place, incredible role models for how to be a great father, a great husband, while simultaneously being a great leader in a business sense and in their role in the company. And I just found that to be really unique and a really special place to be. You know, I figured like there's people like Earl Kelly, people like yourself that I was always so impressed with, like, you know, the the Mike Cassettas of the world on another one of the podcasts. And 
you know, ahead of me you know, in the business. I was like, they're pretty talented people that I could probably, I probably benefit from being around for a little longer. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Well, you went through about a decade in the district manager role. And I'm sure that during that time you had, you know, plenty of ups and downs. What was the point where you felt like, all right, I've got this. I've made it here. I'm really going to be successful here. This is going to be what I do long term. Yeah, I think that was probably 2009 for me. I had a $1.8 million district team, uh, two districts, four branches. Like, I think in that moment, I knew that I had what it took to succeed and perform at the highest level, compete with. I think I always knew that was there. I, I just don't know if I was 100% committed to like the long-term vision of my organization until that point. Uh, but you know, once I got a growth bonus and a super bonus in the same year, I bought a house. You know, became a millionaire while I was like, you know, loving what I was doing. You know, I was I was kind of here to stay. But, like, yeah, I'm going to go on four or five vacations every year. You know, I, I invested hundred fifty thousand dollars that year. Uh, you know, it, it, it was pretty cool <laughs> being, being in that situation, and then. Yeah, you know, there were there were definitely points where I had so much development, you know, in in my organization that I like I really wasn't running a lot of the functions anymore, and I found it to be a lot more rewarding when I could kind of you know share the knowledge and share the business with other people, and uh, became my like kind of a developer of developers, and you know, my organization kind of took on a life of its own at that point. I like I get this, like, and I can have a lot more profound impact here than I'm probably going to have most other places from this point onward. So. I think that was when I, I was, I was in it to win it long term. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was about five years in to your district manager career. I guess even it was your sixth year running an office. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Where that that really began to take hold for you, uh, and I think that's a great point for any district manager listening to this to consider, or even anybody new in whatever business you're in, is that. Sometimes it takes time before you feel like you've really arrived and turned that corner. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, I think it's important for people to realize that they shouldn't give up on the aspirations they have, you know, in the early stages because, uh, you know, you putting in that effort consistently over a six year period got you to that point where you had that great year and you had all that development and you were able to save and invest 150000 in that particular year. That's huge. Right, while enjoying the work and taking five trips and all those things that you just dis- discussed. So, um, you know, I think if anybody knew they could get to where you are in a five or six year period, they would put in the work and they'd be consistent. So it's good. Uh, it's good to hear that. Um, you referenced uh, achieving a million dollar net worth. I know this is something that several of your peers have told me was a um, a great thing about what you did as a district manager is you got uh, over a million dollar net worth during your days as a district manager. Uh, what were some of the financial strategies that you employed in order to be able to get there? Yeah, um, it's actually I, I, I owe Vector a lot. Uh, you know, it, I was 18, and I remember listening to a, a financial fitness and habits message from John Wasserman, uh, who's also a division manager in in my region. Now it's kind of cool that I'm now like you know, working as his, a colleague of his. When I first, you know, I, I, I owe a lot to him because. Where he, he stood in front of the room and he was like, there's going to be 1% of you in this room that does everything that I'm telling you to do in this financial message. And those of you that do it are going to be very wealthy and very successful. And I was like, I'm going to be that guy. <laughs> you know, so uh, I was. And uh, I basically just you know took a lot of the information that he talked about. So 
Um, for me, like I, yeah, I think having a long-term uh, financial goal in mind, uh, mine at this point is to change my entire family's financial future forever. Uh, you know, getting to the fifty to hundred million dollar, you know, wealth. So, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be with Vector for a, a very long time. Uh, I've, I've realized that there's there's a lot of large cash infuses that you get um, working with Vector that I don't think you really have the opportunity to get. Very many places, you know, the the twenty and thirty and forty thousand dollar lump sum bonus checks that you know you can you can lock away and, and sock away pretty easily. But um, I think uh, you know, as a district, it was you know being really disciplined with my spending habits inside of, of Vector and outside of it as well. Uh, I think a place that a lot of people drop the ball is that like personal habits and spending aren't really that great. They have a division manager usually help with their budget for their office. But uh, I, I was also very disciplined outside of the workplace uh, as well. I had a budget, always paid cash when I was younger because I didn't trust myself with a credit card and want to get in trouble with, with those things. Um, I think I also took advantage of the sales industry in general where you know, my extra work effort energy that I was putting into things could actually lead to more income. Uh, I think it, it, from an investment standpoint and a building financial wealth standpoint, the sales industry has a has some unique advantages in that, like I can actually dictate my pay uh, to a, to a certain degree, which uh, a lot of other people wouldn't be able to do. Uh, the simple concepts of paying myself first, like first of the month, it was like you know every single time I was uh, you know writing a check uh, at that point, and now it's a direct deposit, so I never have to think about it. <laughs> you know, uh, when I first started as a DM, we, we didn't really do direct. And I said, I still have to write the physical check back then, but now it's direct deposit, which is great. Um, I always tell people that the habits are more important than the amount when, when you're first getting started. So I don't mm. think a lot. When I first got started, I was like, you know, you know $250 a month, $500 a month. When I first started as like an 18 year old, uh, you know, doing all this, but, uh, you know, the percentages are what, what matters. I, I guess I could touch on that. Uh, momentarily, I think the big one was just the twenty percent of my income. I always put towards my long-term investments, and I was a lot more aggressive about it when I was younger. So, living below my means was a was a big thing. I was really cheap, one hundred percent invested in building my business for the first you know two three years to get where I would be. Everything I outside of the vector environment, I was just doing to the limit expenses. So I spent next to no dollars because I just wanted to get a ton of money into the market. You know, kind of take advantage of that. Compounding interest at a young age. I just understood math and you know the time value of money, right? Uh, and wanted to get as much out there as possible. So, yeah, you just shared a lot of great stuff. First off, hearing John Wasserman speak about this, and uh, for, for context for anybody that's you know not in Vector, John Wasserman is one of the most amazing leaders in our company and most respected leaders in our company. And he's up there, he's giving a financial message and he's saying, hey, look, 1% of you guys are going to listen to me. And you just decided, I want to be that guy. And I can remember hearing the same messages as a young person. And for me, it was Don Muehlrath, who was the president of Vector West, who was a great financial influence. And we also had a guy named Roman Malik, who's one of the all-time Cutco great sales reps and managers who lives here in the Bay Area. And I would get to hear those guys share messages. And I've always told people that I feel like it took about seven times of hearing the messages before I started really taking action on it. So you heard it the first time and thought, all right, I want to be that guy, 
right? For me, it took a lot of repetition of hearing the ideas before I started taking action on it. But then taking action and the idea that habits are more important than the amounts, that's a critical idea, right? Once you establish the habit of saving and investing, you can raise the amounts, right? And I'll ask you a little bit about the percentages here in a second. We can talk more about that. But you can raise the amounts once the habit is established. But if you don't establish the habit, what happens is the reverse habit takes hold, which is that, oh, you just think that you need everything you're making in order to be able to live, right? Your standard of living keeps growing as your income grows and you don't create that gap between your income and what you're spending, that gap that you can be saving and investing. You talked about saving lump sum bonuses, Mm -hmm. right? Learning to live on sort of the weekly income flow that's coming in, right? And getting in that habit of saving lump sum bonuses. Most young people not only don't do that, right? Like most of them spend their lump sum bonuses, but in fact, many of them spend their lump sum bonuses in the months before the bonus actually arrives. They start thinking, oh, I've got this 20,000 coming. I know a couple of guys right now that I work with that are like, I got 20, 30,000 coming in May. I'm going to start spending it right now. You know, so it's the habits that are established are really, really, really critical. So I thought that was a good point. And the idea that the sales industry has advantages where we can dictate our income and our savings goals, that was always something I did every year. I always had my sales goals for the year. I would calculate income goals and I would usually take my low ball income goal and use that to create a savings goal, a minimum savings goal that I would hit for sure. And then I would enact a plan of withholdings, you know, to be able to hit that minimum savings goal no matter what. And then if you take lump sum bonuses and try to tack those on top of that, you can save a lot more than just the minimum goals. So tell me more about uh, some of the financial strategies that you've employed. Sure. Well, I read some great books. That was certainly helpful. I read The Wealthy Barber, Secrets of the Millionaire Mind, which is by T. Harv Ecker, and The Value Investing from Warren Buffett, and then uh, Real Money from Jim Cramer were kind of four of my favorites that I think have a broad scope of like you know strategies. Uh, the Wealthy Barber has like kind of the simple strategies, a lot of the percentages and breakdowns of like how I saved the money is from Secrets of the Millionaire Mind. Individual stock picking and things like that were more Buffett and Cramer, but... For me, the breakdown was always I tried to live on half of my income, so significantly living below my mean. Uh, by you know, fifty percent was needs, twenty percent long term savings, and then thirty percent on just you know whatever extra expenditures and things like that. Campaign bonuses, super bonuses, development bonuses, all that stuff. I invested everything, and then um, monthly bonus was the only one that I like you know used to kind of support the office and outside of work. In terms of the strategy, it was just like simple dollar cost averaging into index funds, S&P 500 index fund until I had about $100,000 invested. And then I chose to be a lot more aggressive when I was younger. I'm a little more conservative now and more index fundish now that I'm older. But uh, I was a lot more risk heavy when when I was younger. It was about half speculative and half towards building my nest egg. with the you know dollar cost averaging and then the other half I was I was picking stocks. You know, the way I looked at it is like, you know, if I lose five thousand dollars, you know, picking a stock, you know, when I was twenty one or whatever, I had my entire working life to to make that five thousand dollars back and I wasn't as concerned with it. But that five thousand dollars 
know, it could be a home run, which, you know, turns into a lot more later on down the line, which uh, this great company named Apple that I bought way back when uh, definitely did. And it got me to the million dollars <laughs> a little bit more at accelerated pace. My, my 4,000% <laughs> return on it, <laughs> which was good. And then I think my foundations in, in economics from being an economic major, like I have a base understanding of the markets to a certain degree. I think people overcomplicate it oftentimes when they're investing, like, you know, to keep it simple, it's just dollar cost average and then uh, buy what you know. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and the concept of dollar cost averaging for uh, some of the, younger people listening uh, is that you're investing a specific monthly amount consistently into the same funds. And by doing that, when the funds are uh, lower, you're buying more. When the funds are higher, you're buying less. And so the buy low, sell high portion, the, the buy low portion of buy low, sell high is being forced upon you mathematically. That's the idea of dollar cost averaging. You're investing a consistent monthly amount. And so being able to do that helps people to be putting more into the market when the market is a little bit down and you know l- less when it's up. So mm-hmm. good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. The only other thing was just the sound tax strategies uh, so I could keep more of my money. I invested in getting a really solid accountant that like knows what they're doing relative to our business and taking advantage of... Uh, you know, the tax advantaged investment vehicles like you know Roths, SEPs, universal variable life insurance, like you know, think things like that that I can use to protect some of the money that I'm earning rather than paying a lot in taxes. Yeah, one of the principles I learned early on was to maximize any sort of tax deferred retirement vehicle. And that's been something that I've done consistently since my mid-20s, is I've been able to maximize those elements of my savings on an annual basis. For many years, that was my SEP and my Roth. And those things have changed over the years, what they've been for me. But the the idea of maximizing your tax-deferred retirement options, 401k if you're employed, and uh, you can still do a Roth uh, in that case. Those are all things to maximize. And then ultimately, once you have a family, you have dependents, Universal variable life insurance becomes a way of also being able to have some tax advantages while providing that additional benefit to your family. So all good stuff. Awesome. So let's talk a little bit about your division because you've got a growing division that's doing really well and that uh, I feel like is uh, primed for some breakthroughs in the years ahead. What are some of the keys to the success of your division right now? Yeah, I I love these guys. I mean, they are awesome. I think the first one would have to be the casting of a big vision uh, for my people, so they they see hope in the future and and the opportunities for them expanding. I've always been one that can just throw big things out there and say like, I'm not sure how we're going to get there, but like I'm fired up to accomplish this. And you know, the number right now is the twenty million dollar division. $10,000 productivity like are two concepts that I'm throwing out there, not haphazardly or, or anything like that, but like a legitimate plan. Like, this is how we're going to get there. It's not going to happen in 2020 for sure, but like, you know, 2025, like, you know, by 2030, like, you know, down the I see a business where that that's happening and we're creating that type of type of success. Like I didn't get to build a mediocre organization. I'm telling my guys constantly, like, listen, I didn't even need the DBM promotion. I was a millionaire before 
I became a DVM. <laughs> so uh, my office in New Hampshire was on lockdown. I had 16 people that could run the thing upside down and backwards for me. I barely even showed up to the office the last two years. We were still one of the top district teams in the nation. I, I didn't need the promotion to like pay my bills. I wanted to take the promotion to do something epic and to revolutionize, change the platform uh, that that we're we're all working on. Like you know, provide a profound impact for, for the business. You know, moving forward. I also really like our broad-reaching kind of mission statement to continuously pursue a more ideal version of ourselves. We have more capacity to give to and provide to the people we love and care about. I think it appeals to more people and. You know, it resonates with with a lot of people that like. There's nothing about knives or selling or anything like that. It's about like you know becoming more of what we're meant to become as people and utilizing the business as a platform and a vehicle to bring the best out of ourselves, which uh, that I'm excited about and I think is is causing excitement for everybody else. The cut go through college concept that I, I kind of borrowed from Jeff Gamboa. I heard he talked about it. But how he talks about it and how I talk about it are, are actually different. I just heard country through college. It was like, that sounds like an awesome idea. I think it just stems from my deep-rooted belief that there's no better place for somebody to spend their collegiate career in early 20s to build their personal, professional, and financial foundations than with Vector. Like if they have aspirations beyond that, great. But I think people like you know, being here through their college years, there's no class that's gonna teach them. There's no uh, there's no internship where they're gonna get the same level of experience. And there's definitely no job they're going to be able to earn the same type of income while they're in college. So for mm-hmm. me, like it's kind of a trifecta. You know, like where are you going? <laughs> like, you know, like what, what, why? Why would you do something other than what uh, grow within these roles and opportunities that are in front of you with our business? If, if if you have that type of affinity, so I think that comes through as I promote leadership opportunities. We started talking about people getting to a million dollars in career two years out of school, and if they earn. You know, uh, revenue wise, like, you know, four, five hundred thousand dollars in that time frame, they could spend a hundred thousand dollars and still have three to four hundred grand left over at that point that they could invest, pay off college. You know, people graduating college debt free is a thing. You know, in, in this instance, there's some people whose parents are paying for college. They might have three hundred thousand, four hundred thousand dollars invested. Uh, we already have three or four people that kind of latched onto that concept four or five years ago that are like kind of in that mode right now. Uh, Tyler Langmeyer, Dylan Foley, and some of these guys that are going to get to a million dollars well before they're even two years out of school, which I think is firing me up to continue to provide that opportunity for people. And you know, my, my belief in the DM opportunity that I lived for 10 years, I think uh, I, I, I can communicate to all my districts, like every scenario or circumstance that they're experiencing or they're in at any point in their career as DMs, I've experienced like, you know, in a decade of, of doing their job. Yeah. So, you know, I think it, I think it helps a lot with that tangible experience of, of being a district for such a long time and loving it. You know, I can obviously parlay some of that into into my role as a DVM right now and provide value for my people uh, that I'm responsible for leading. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. I love to hear the vision you have, the big vision that you have for the future for the division and and all the things that could be created there. Like, there's so much potential, and you know, somebody's got to be thinking about being the standard setters for the future. And it's clear that you're thinking about that. And your conviction that there's no better place to be for all of your people is something that I'm sure is rallying a lot of the support of your people and is getting people really tied into being a part of your organization for years to come. And it's great that you, you know, you, you're able to have that because you succeeded as a rep, you succeeded as a branch, you succeeded as a DM. It's really easy for you to have that strong belief 
that the people that are with you are in the best possible place for themselves. And that's true wherever you are in Vector. You're in a great spot. And I hope that everybody who's listening, who's a part of Vector, can can truly think about and ponder the the real greatness of the opportunity that is in front of you in terms of you know what you can earn, who you can be around. You talked about reps getting to a million dollars in career sales within a couple of years after college and being able to save the vast majority of that income because they're it, you know particularly if their parents are paying for school, they're living at home. You know, like there's a chance for people to really really bank a ton uh, while they're going through their early years of working in Vector and. It's just an awesome opportunity for sure. So it's great to hear. What what else are you excited about, uh, either personally or professionally, Kyle? Personally, right now, it's just uh, it, being the best dad and husband that I could be every day. It's my life's calling. You know, I, I remember you know when I was younger, people were like, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And I was like, "Great husband and a great father." Like uh, other than that, like I'm, I'm good. <laughs> you know, so I just like that. You know, I'm I'm in a position that directly rewards me for the value that I'm adding to people's lives that I'm leading, and yeah, I I can go home at the end of the day, you know, kiss my wife, kiss my son, kiss my daughter, and you know, be really proud of the work that I'm doing because uh, I'm supporting them, you know, directly through the success that I'm able to create for other people. Uh, and it's just a noble profession and a noble opportunity for me to do, and I love every minute of it. So, from a professional standpoint, it's really tied to my personal life and vision in a lot of ways, you know, profoundly impacting and influencing this generation of young people to, to lead more effectively in whatever their future calling happens to be. You know, I, I've said to my division and people multiple times that as a parent, I'm responsible for the world that my children grow up in. And if I'm not, you know, doing everything in my power to, you know, influence that world as significantly and make it a significantly better place and the one that I'm living in right now, I'm failing as a parent, and that's just unacceptable to me. So, the biggest reason that is DVM now is that through through my role, and especially the leadership academy opportunities that we we offer people, uh, I'm going to influence ten to twenty thousand college students in the next decade to make sure that they have the right values, morals, work ethic, you know, desire to provide a positive impact on the world and their surroundings. You know, so whatever they do in the future, they're they're going to learn to lead there. They're going to choose to lead there. And uh, bring a little bit of vector, bring a little bit of you know the the Kyle Premit and our divisional culture with them to ultimately make the world that my kids grow up in uh, a significantly better place. Uh, I'm enjoying doing that, <laughs> you know, every day and adding more value. Yeah, that that's awesome. I, I love that you shared that uh, you're you're responsible for the world that your children grow up in. You're responsible for helping to shape the world that your children grow up in. I, I think that if everyone could think about the fact that we are all contributing to so many other people, there's you know almost 8 billion people on the earth right now. And in our lifetimes, we're going to see 10 billion. And everyone is interconnected in some way. And the value that you add into the world multiplies through everyone who comes in contact with you. And if, if everybody sees it that way, what happens is we're, instead of trying to worry about, you know, how big of a slice of the pie can I get? We're all baking much bigger pies for everyone to be able to benefit more from. And that's just a great philosophy. And, uh, and I, I love to hear that you espouse that with your team and with your own self. So that's pretty cool. Well, Kyle, you've, you've shared some good insights on, uh, ways that you're impacting people in your organization and, changing lives. That's the theme of this podcast. And just want to give you a chance as we wrap up here to share 
anything else that you have on how you aspire to change people's lives through your work or through your influence? Sure. Yeah. I, I just think that the the big things that I'm looking for right now in in my business is to, you know, the, the sound financial training and habits that uh, that my my people are learning so that they can live their life without monetary restrictions or having to chase a paycheck. That cut go through college concept, you know, I, I I'm I'm really enjoying teaching because notion of a twenty-two or twenty-three year old having, you know, three, four hundred thousand dollars invested at that time, two years out of school. In a lot of ways, like you know, based on finances and things like, they're financially set for the rest of their life, and that they can pick their head up at that point and start, rather than chasing paychecks. And I just want the people in that position as as often as possible. You know, adding valuable personal professional skills that they can take them with them wherever they go. You know, uh, time management, goal setting, strategic planning, learning how to be solution oriented. You know, uh, team building concepts, uh, selling themselves, selling products, handling rejection. Facing fears with actions, overcoming obstacles and challenges, networking. I mean, there's like there's a million things that like you know, we can teach and vector uh, as people do their day to day functions and tasks that uh, I, I think have tremendous value for profoundly and positively impacting the futures and lives of the responsible for leading, uh, providing that like real world platform for their capacity for leadership, the highest levels of performance that they have, and the fullest expressions of their talents to kind of shine through. And um, I just want to make sure I'm utilizing my position to give people a, a source of confidence that they can draw for life, uh, that they can succeed at higher levels than they were planning on in whatever their future endeavors or callings happen to be. So that's, uh, that's a big thing for me and Vector. Yeah. Well, that's outstanding, Kyle. It's a great formula for any leader to think about, right? How am I adding to people's skills personally and professionally? right? So that they can be better at everything that they do. How am I inspiring people to be aggressive about their own growth so that they're not just learning from you, the leader, but that they're multiplying that in other ways? How are we providing people with financial training so that all of this skill development and these things that we're helping people with, that they turn it into a life that is exists without monetary restrictions, as you put it? How are we providing people with a real-world platform to lead others, right? To be able to take what we're teaching and, and leverage that to lead others and continuing to uh, provide greater and greater opportunities and possibilities for everyone that is around us. It's just a great formula for changing lives, Kyle. And it's really inspiring to see you know, who you've become as a leader over these years. I think that uh, anybody who listens to this podcast is going to be wowed by the, the kind of leader that you are. You're a great, just really a prime example of well-rounded success. You know, Great in your business, great in your personal life, right? great in all the things that you do and uh, helping other people. And it's awesome to be able to have you as a respected colleague here in our company. So thanks so much for making time for the podcast here today, Kyle. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Dan. Have a fantastic day. All right. Kyle Preeman, everyone, just a great leader in the Cutco Vector Marketing Sales Organization with some awesome insights. Learning from Mara Bausto, now Mara Berghoff, the idea of uh, learn the lessons and forget the details. I think that's a great one for, you know, as young people, when we make mistakes in our lives, right, that, uh, that we internalize the lesson. What was the lesson that came out of that? I think it's important for people to journal lessons 
so that those things, those concepts stick. Dennis Waitley uh, taught me many years ago, all lessons will be repeated until learned. And you've got to learn that lesson. Forget about what the mistake was or what the details are, but make sure you internalize the actual lesson that you wanted to get from that experience. Clarity of purpose creates ease of action was another great concept that Kyle shared. And I thought that was really valuable. Just really thinking about, you know, why we're doing what we're doing, what are our goals, what are our objectives, and that that makes the day-to-day actions easier to take on. I found it interesting that a guy with his level of success as a student and the path that he was on, he chose Vector as his first career. He didn't feel the calling to go into the medical career, but he found that he has found that calling here. And again, for anybody that's working here, you know, really realize that this job is about so much more than selling knives, right? When somebody asks me, how's the knife business? A lot of times I like quickly like double take, like, oh yeah, that, that is what we do, I guess. But it's not really what we do, right? If we're vector managers, we're, we don't sell knives so much as we sell dreams and goals and vision and aspirations and we help people learn and grow. Right. And that's a calling that people can be proud of and, and inspired by hearing the financial lessons that Kyle referenced hearing and beginning to take that process on that habits are more important than amounts. Thought that was a really critical insight. I recorded a video several years ago with some very rudimentary financial tips, sort of starter financial tips that people can take on. It's been on the Vector Connect website for a lot of years. I've just recently put it onto YouTube as well, and you can find it if you just search on dollars and cents, dollars and cents, S-E-N-S-E, it'll pop up. Uh, It's on the Changing Lives podcast YouTube page. Also, some of the videos of some of these interviews are posted there. So feel free to check that out. Uh, if you want to get some basic financial tips that will probably resonate with stuff that Kyle has shared. And then I love how Kyle talked about adding value to the world, right? That we're all responsible for the world our kids grow up in, right? How can we be people who add value to the world, who contribute to the lives of others, who help provide people with skills, with inspiration, with financial training, with a platform for leadership, all the things that we get to do in Vector, If you're not in Vector, think about how you can provide those opportunities to the world around you, to others around you, contribute to others, add value to others. If we all focus on that, we will all derive more benefit in the short term and we'll be building a world in which our children will be able to thrive at a much higher level than we have. So good stuff. Hope you enjoyed getting to know Kyle Preman. Thanks, everyone. Have a great rest of your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. And if you want access to today's show notes, including links to any resources mentioned, visit changinglivespodcast.com. This is Dan Cassetta signing off. I'll catch you back here in a few days for our next story about changing lives.